0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, looking tonight at verses 1 through 6. Hebrews 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather uh, late in the day on the Lord's day to close out the day together in worship and prayer. Study of your word. And Father, we pray that as we give our attention to the scriptures, your spirit would lead us into your truth. Father, give us clear minds, awake minds to think about these things. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We've been looking at these early chapters in this epistle to the Hebrews. We recognize that early on the theme is superiority. The superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who, under persecution, in some cases specifically because of their Christian profession, the temptation perhaps was to turn back to old ways. Now, sometimes old ways are good. You know, J.C. Ryle has a whole book uh, of of his uh, of his sermons and lessons called "Old Paths" that have to do with some of the foundational doctrines of the Christian. Life uh, and Christian truth, and uh, he says, as Jeremiah says, these are the old paths. Walk in them. You know, these this is this is the foundational truths. These are the foundational truths. Well, sometimes the old paths are not good. Sometimes what is new, or at least what seems new, is better than what went before. Uh, I'll take my Windows Seven. Uh, quad-core computer over the old uh, Tandy I used to have that didn't even have a hard drive it had two floppy disks. Uh, I would say the new is better. Uh, and that's exactly what the writer of the Hebrews is trying to say. Yes, those ways are old. Yes, those ways are familiar, but they have been supplanted by something better. And we've seen how he starts off in chapter 1 talking about how Jesus is the 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 superior revelation of God himself, in fact, God in the flesh, God incarnate here with us. Uh, he's superior to the Old Testament prophets in that they spoke the word of the Lord, but Jesus was the word of the Lord, word incarnate. That whereas angels were involved in some way in the mediation of the revelation of God's law at Sinai, well, Jesus is superior even to those angels in, in various ways that he mentions that we've talked about. He mentions how Jesus has a higher place than the angels and that while they simply serve the Lord, he is the one who gives the orders, the superiority over these angelic beings. Well, now, now. The writer to the Hebrews takes his home run swing because he's not just taking on prophets, showing how Jesus is better. He's not just taking on angels, showing how Jesus is better. He's taking on Moses. And he better swing hard. Because for the Jews, Moses was the man, along with Abraham, of course. But Moses, humanly speaking, was kind of the the George Washington of Israel. George Washington uh, was so revered by all parties who otherwise fought among themselves that they begged him to run for a second term for the continued existence of the nation. Well, in many ways, people looked at Moses in Israel the way we would look at George Washington because of his stature, his character, his service to the country, uh, and so forth. Uh, well, they viewed Moses in much the same way. And so when you start talking about somebody being better than Moses, you better have a good case. And that's exactly what he does here in this passage, because the reality is Jesus is superior to Moses. Now he begins in verse 1, therefore, holy brothers, because of what he's been talking about in these uh, verses just preceding how Jesus took to himself flesh and blood and how he helps us. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. He makes propitiation for the sins of the people. He's able to help us who are being tempted because he himself was tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling because of what Jesus has done, Consider Jesus. That almost was a sermon title, by the way. Consider Jesus. Uh, I I saw this recently. Uh, You know, one of the the billboards that says, Try God, which I really don't like. I mean, it's not like he's a new brand of, uh, you know, of, of soft drink. And you give him a try, and if it doesn't work for you, well, you just go back to what you drank before. Uh, you don't try God, you, you submit to God, you bow to God. Um, well, consider Jesus by itself, makes it almost sound like a sales pitch, well, think about him and, you know, if, if he doesn't work for you, well, <clears throat> at least you tried, now you know. Uh, that's not what he's saying. Consider Jesus has the idea of thinking about or meditating on or contemplating on Jesus. To 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 tune your mind to consider who Jesus is and what he has done. And he wants them to think about that. Because he's about to compare Jesus to Moses. And he wants them to understand aright. He wants us to understand aright who Jesus is. Now, he wants them to think especially about three things. Now, when he starts off, he starts off by... Um, not so much comparing Moses to Jesus, but comparing Jesus to Moses. He's smart. He's wise. He doesn't start off by, by putting Moses down. He starts off by showing them how Jesus is like Moses. In, in a very good way. He, he wants them to notice, to consider Jesus' faithfulness. Look at verse 2. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Apostle because he's the one sent by the Father. You know, he's, he's the missionary. He is the God himself coming to the world. The high priest, because he's the one who offered up himself as a sacrifice and intercedes for us. Consider him, verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now, it's easy to read over that and miss the nuance. But he is. He's, he's saying, think about Jesus who was faithful just like Moses was faithful. He's comparing Jesus to Moses. And Moses was faithful. It's kind of of a happy providence that we're we're studying on Sunday morning, Moses and God's call of him. uh, And as we'll see, his reluctance to do what God had called him to do, his fear of that, Uh, and looking at this passage here tonight, because uh, Moses was faithful. You simply cannot overestimate his importance to the Jews. He was the one through whom God gave the law. He was the one to whom God spoke face to face, the Lord says, as a man speaks with his friend. Moses was, in a sense, the the personal embodiment of Judaism. And so to commend Jesus, he compares him to Moses. Now he wasn't perfect, obviously. We we can think of of times when Moses uh, wasn't all that he should have been, but he was faithful. Turn back to Numbers chapter twelve. Numbers chapter twelve, where Miriam and and, and Aaron oppose Moses. Now it's bad enough that it's Miriam and Aaron opposing Moses' leadership, but it's made worse by the fact they're his brother and sister, kind of this interfamily. Quarrel. Of course, your children, brothers and sisters, uh, they, they never fight among themselves. But apparently there was there was a little bit of envy going on here as they saw Moses up front and uh, they they didn't like that. And they say who who who, who made you uh, to be the, the spokesman of the Lord? Verse two, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. There's his knowledge, right? He, he heard this, this thing that they said. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who are on the face of the earth. Verse 3, there's some question whether Moses wrote that, and if he did, would it then be true? But uh, at any rate, Moses is commended, and you see his meekness here. He he uh, The Lord calls to Moses and Aaron and Miriam. He calls them out, and they come out. But notice what happens in uh, in verse 6. The Lord said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, which is the definition of a prophet. He has the word of the Lord. What he says is true, or it eventually comes true. Notice verse 7. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. This is what the writer of the Hebrews is picking up on there. Wow. Wow. Imagine God saying of you, saying of me, he is faithful. She is faithful in my church. Would that make you day? Wouldn't that make your eternity? Well, yes. Uh, Not not my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. That is not necessarily always figurative in strange ways God might speak through the prophets. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And uh, Miriam wound up with a bad case of leprosy out of it, or something. She was leprous, white as snow, and Moses pleaded uh, for the Lord to heal her, and, and he did. But the point there is the Lord himself speaks of that exalted place Moses had. Uh, That the Lord speaks to him clearly, face to face, as a man with his friend. Why were they not afraid to speak against Moses? And the writer of the Hebrews doesn't want that charge leveled against him. But he picks up on that expression that God himself commends Moses. He was faithful. He is faithful in all my house. And that's, that's what he says about Jesus. Well, just like Moses was faithful in all God's house, well, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him in the same way. And so he's very wise here in how he approaches this. He speaks well of Moses. He holds Moses up. He says in the same way, Jesus is faithful in the house of the Lord. Remember, Jesus, uh, in the transfiguration, that the Father speaks of him. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus, too, has that, that audible, verbal confirmation and approval of God, his heavenly Father, uh, of his ministry. And to listen to him. And so, so far, Jesus and Moses are neck and neck. Both are faithful. And that's a good place to start when he's trying to convince them that actually Jesus comes out ahead. Well, he talks then in the next place about Jesus' honor. His faithfulness like Moses. But his honor, he goes on to say, is superior to that of Moses. Look at verses 3 and 4. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. That's saying something. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by something, but the builder of all things is God. Now he starts to demonstrate why Jesus has greater honor than Moses. And he uses this metaphor of a a house, the builder of a house. And he puts it in basically theological terms, that Jesus has more honor, more glory, because Moses is the house, is part of the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses, when all is said and done, as much honor as he had, as much as as God commends him, is still just a fallen, sinful human being part of the people of God in need of God's redemption, in need of the blood of the Lamb, in need of the blood of Jesus. He's a part of that house that God is building. You'll be familiar with that metaphor from First Peter. We studied that recently in First Peter chapter 2. It talks, of us, talks about us as, each one of us as spiritual stones, as stones being built up into the spiritual house. Same metaphor. Well, Moses is, 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 is one more brick, a significant brick, but one more brick in that house of God's people. But Jesus is the builder. Jesus is the one who is making it possible. And so just as a house may have honor, yes, they could have built more. Largest private residence in the United States. Magnificent house. Beautiful house. Stunning house. And yet, you have to say, it didn't build itself. Some of the honor went to the architect. The honor goes to George Vanderbilt, who not only conceived of it and planned it, but paid for it. Um, Yes, the house has honor, but certainly those who who caused it to be there have more honor. Well, that's the argument he's making. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is God. So... His argument is he begins to push Jesus out ahead of Moses. Both men are faithful. Both served well. Both were commended by God. But Jesus has greater honor, greater glory, just like the builder of a house has greater honor even than the house itself. The house is his handiwork. So we notice here Jesus' faithfulness. Absolutely Tempted in every way, yet obedient. All of these these different things you could think of in Jesus' ministry. We think about Jesus' honor. And this is where he begins to eclipse Moses. Because ultimately, Moses was a sinner redeemed by Jesus. And then finally, he talks about Jesus' station or Jesus' place, we might say, in verses 5 and 6. As he continues to drive this point home. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Continues with a house metaphor, but a little different take on it. Moses was a servant within the house. He was a part of the household staff, so to speak. He was a servant. He served well, very much to be commended But he served, nevertheless, as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. By whom, by the way? Probably as among Jesus. Moses was preparing the way for Jesus uh, as God used him to to establish the old covenant people, that preparatory time, that time of foreshadowing that eventually would lead to the coming of the Messiah, to the coming of of Jesus. Moses was faithful as a servant, but Christ, here's the contrast, is faithful, both again faithful, faithful over God's house as a son. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. Jesus was faithful as a son over God's house. You see, it it belongs to Jesus. There's a big difference in a household household between a servant and the son and that's the contrast that he's making here both faithful both to be commended both worthy of honor but jesus worthy of more honor because he's the builder of the house moses is merely part of the house uh, Jesus having a higher station because while Moses was faithful as a servant, Jesus was faithful as a son, the owner of the house. So the builder of the house, now the owner of the house, the one to whom it all belongs and one day will all belong. Now, we kind of end in, in verse six with with an application, kind of an implicit application here. He says, and we are his house. Which, interestingly, sort of uh, teaches the continuity of God's people. Because Moses was part of the house in the Old Testament. We, we New Testament believers, are his house. It's the continuity of the people of God from Moses on through Jesus. We are his house if, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now... Here he's again appealing to them. Stay with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. There's nothing better. There's nothing more. Now, for you, I suggest that the temptation is not to revert to Judaism. We do have a member of our church came out of that, but I don't think any of you did. The temptation isn't to say, well, you know, it's tough following Jesus. I think I'll go back and become a Jew again. Uh, I I sense you're not struggling with that in your day-to-day life. But do we not find ourselves tempted to put other things in place of Jesus, to look to other things instead of Jesus, whether it's our own abilities, whether it's our own finances, whether it's another person, or maybe in some cases uh, uh, to turn to some other religion. I don't know. I mean, you look across the... The gamut of believers and people may find themselves turning to all kinds of things other than Jesus. But hear what he says. We are his house, yes, if indeed we hold fast our confidence in Jesus. Our boasting in our hope in Jesus. You know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness All the rest of this will be added to you, will be given to you as well. The message of this passage is to recognize, again, the utter superiority of Jesus to the otherwise greatest things you can imagine. For them, it was the prophets. For them, it was the angels. For them, it was certainly Moses. To make sure in our thinking that we're clinging to Christ, that we're sticking to Christ, that we're recognizing the surpassing glory. Surpassing what? Surpassing everything that this world has to offer. The glory of Christ. So that in the midst of discouragement, we run to Jesus. In the midst of perplexity, we run to Jesus. Even in delight, we celebrate in Jesus, giving thanks to him. Because we are His house. We are His people. We are the ones redeemed by Him. We belong to Him. And the proof of that, the evidence that that is in fact who you are, is you recognize the preeminent glory of Jesus. He's faithful. who's the builder of the house. Who is the son over the house. And you stick with Him. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that we never... In our minds, in our words, in our hearts, give Jesus the glory, the honor, the place that rightfully is His simply because we do not have the capacity to do so. Lord, in our finiteness as well as in our sin, we think of Jesus far too little in our estimation than we should. Forgive us for that. But Father, we also pray... That just as for a Jewish Christian who revered Moses, it would be a stretch to think of anyone being superior to Moses, and yet Jesus is. And in our hearts, in our minds, our words, you would cause us to begin to appreciate the absolute magnificence of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.